welcome to the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. I'm your host, Michael Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Al Ferreira. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I am super excited to have Melissa McFeeders here. Uh, Melissa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Michael? Living the dream. So, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself for us? Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So I'm really hoping to speak today um, with the background that I have, particularly in early learning. I've been working in the field for a few years. And prior to that, my background had especially been working with older children and adults in like a youth in crisis shelter and a domestic violence shelter. And then I started in early learning now about almost four years ago. And what I found is that the early intervention piece really resonated with me um, and just seeing and getting to work with the children and families that oftentimes I was working with later on. And so the school that I work at now, um, I do case management for preschool families and we are a kids at hope school. And so what that means is that we've adopted a culture of kids at hope and our three kind of uh, foundational truths are that we believe we connect and we time travel. And so when we talk about belief, um, the really core belief is that all children are capable of success with no exceptions. And then we connect with children and identify the caring adults that they have meaningful relationships with. And we're able to measure those and make sure that every child is connected with an adult. And then we also talk about time traveling with them where we help them to visit their future and then be able to come back to the present and sort of prepare for it. And that can be as simple as um, just something that they wanna do personally with a hobby. Um, it can be career with their home and family, um, lots of different things. And so it's really neat to see that in action with preschoolers, but it's also given us a really solid strengths-based foundation to sort of be responding during this pandemic. I love that. I love that being able to vision the future and then kind of backfill, right? And say, this is the path I need to take to get to that, that future. Melissa, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing and what you're feeling and how you're connecting with your families during this time. I'm, you know, I'm sure you're not in a classroom. And so how are you still making those relationships and, and building those connections with the, with the children? And the, I'm sure not just it's preschool. And when you work with children, it's not just the children, it's the families that we need to connect with. Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Yeah, we've had to get really creative in connecting with the children and the families. And a lot of it is totally electronic. Um, our teachers are so creative, I can't even begin to explain. And I absolutely love supporting them. But we have teachers that are um, creating shared files where they're sharing videos and pictures with the kids, but also giving the opportunity where kids can share pictures and videos back, you know. And so that's been really great. And then... Um, also just getting to um, have the class meetings where the kids can see each other and see the teachers over Zoom. Um, and so kind of a, a piece of that is getting devices, right, and connectivity to our families. But um, they love doing show and tell and they just will get toys and toys for hours on end <laughs> if you let them. Um, and so that's been one way um, that we've had to get really creative. And I think that, um, the the kids are adjusting to it really well because especially it's been so long since they've seen some of their teachers as it's taken time to get this going that 
it, it, their faces just light up when they get on and see that their teacher's in front of them and that they can show off their baby brother or they can show off their favorite toy to them. Um, and then for the families that don't have the, the same ability to be connected virtually like that. Um, we're trying to reach out in other ways. We have a lot of teachers that are making um, cards and mailing those to students personally, which we've heard a lot of really positive feedback out because kids don't get <laughs> letters these days and certainly not usually handwritten, handmade letters, you know, from their teachers. So really just trying to make sure that we're meeting families where they're at with, with you know, the technology that they have. So Melissa, as, as you were talking about the, the essentially the culture uh, of your organization, uh, my understanding is that you, you've, uh, the, the organization itself moved from a kind of a, a, a kids at risk to a kids at hope kind of mentality. Can you speak a little bit to that and how, how that's transitioned in this time? Yeah, so that's something that really when Kids at Hope was founded back in the 90s, the, their founder, Rick Miller, was trying to shift the framework from at risk to at hope, right? And thinking about kids in the way that they all have treasures and good things about them. And so one of my favorite parts is even on my um, business card, I get to have treasure hunter on there. So like the adults in our building, we're treasure hunters, which is a blast. And right, the idea is that we're seeking the treasures in the children and the families that we work with and each other too. And so that's one of the things that for me was really apparent when I first started working at this particular organization um, and is something that I've heard from many other organizations that adopt a Kids at Hope culture is that it just gives you a healthy work environment. And that's not to say we don't have our challenges, but it really creates a bond and a relationship in an in a intentional way. And that's what I love too, is because it doesn't add, it's not another program. It's not one more thing that our teachers have to do. It adds intentionality to what we're already doing. And I think the biggest thing is just remembering that our children and our families, regardless of what they're going through, they have value and they have worth and they have inherent dignity that we respect and that we can learn from them as well. So trying to ensure that we're bringing their voices to the table um, when we're making decisions that we're asking what they need. Um, I think it's really easy, especially for me, like as, a, as an observer of children and families or even our staff to say, oh, I think this is going to be the right solution or here's, let me problem solve, right? It's really easy to jump into that like fixer mode. And I might come up with things that are completely irrelevant because I'm not actually asking and looking at what do they need from their perspective. So I think that's a really important piece of it as well, is that it's not just seeking the treasures that we see, but also helping them identify the treasures in themselves. What are some of those things that you're developing or help finding out that people need uh, that, that might be unexpected, things that you didn't anticipate that you necessarily need to know or do uh, that uh, you weren't doing just a few short weeks ago? I think the biggest thing, honestly, is probably the learning curve with technology that we're seeing, not just for the staff, but also for some of the families as well, because we talk in, in early learning about like limiting screen time, right? And so some of the older grades, they already had that like one-to-one -one technology ratio with their students, and we did not. And I don't think that that was a bad thing, but it's something that we're now having to adjust to and finding the balance of 
what is educational screen time look like? And the fact that it's okay, I mean, I'm reading so much on Facebook right now with parents having to put their kids in front of screens just to survive. And they're so worried that, you know, they're doing something wrong or that that makes them a bad parent. And it's so not true. The, the truth is we're all in this pandemic and it's creating a collective trauma for us. And so to whatever degree screens are involved, if that's what they need to be in the moment, then that's what they need to be. And the important thing is that you're still connecting with your children. And so I think for us, just trying to ensure that we're creating those different opportunities to connect with them, um, regardless maybe of the technology access that they have. And so kind of getting creative, like I was saying before. I'm curious because uh, your background in youth and crisis and domestic crisis and all that, um, uh, and, and just as a, as a background, I, I live in a very rural uh, part of the, the state, and there is a percentage of families who have no technology or access to technology at all. Libraries closed, that sort of thing. That's where families used to go to do research and, and, and maybe have access to a computer. Uh, are you... Are you seeing that at all within the, the scope of the work that you do? Uh, is your organization reaching out to those families as well? Yeah, so we're definitely seeing that. The other thing we're encountering is for some of the families that are still working, they, they might only have like one cell phone and the parent or guardian takes that to work. And then perhaps the babysitter is an older neighbor or a grandparent that doesn't have a smartphone or doesn't have the access. And so one of the things we're trying to do um, in the coming weeks is make available we're calling them packets, but we use that very broadly. And so trying to get learning materials to families. And so um, we're fortunate enough to have funds to do that. And we also were able to get suggestions from parents about what would be valuable for them to have in that. And so that will be made available for families to pick up in like a drive-by kind of fashion or also potentially, um, being able to access that just by us dropping it off to them. And so that's what a lot of this outreach is, I think, is getting them what they need in the way that they need it. That's great, Melissa. Do you know, like, give us an example of what's in that packet. What activities are we looking for? It might help some of our uh, family that's listening right now to say, oh, I never thought of that. Let me, I work with two-year-olds. I work with preschoolers. I, I might be able to throw that in my, my packet. Yeah, so this first packet that's going out is really going to include just some of the basics because we have families that don't necessarily have crayons or child-sized scissors, some of just paper even. Um, and so really trying to get that basic material in their hands so that they can do a wide variety of things with it. And then also thinking about the different kinds of items that will promote um, just their different developmental areas. And so I know one of the things we were talking about was like cotton balls, right? And there's lots of different art activities, crafts, but cotton balls are helping their fine motor activities. Um, and then I know we were looking at getting some dice for some different math games as well. And then also just um, things that they can cut out. And so again, that's that fine motor development, hand-eye coordination that's happening. We take for granted, we have 25 sets of scissors in the room and, and five containers of broken crayons and what are we doing with that right and so can we put ourselves out there and put those those products in our family's hands so they can be successful instead of fighting with the one highlighter and that's the only marker 
that they have mm -hmm. is a yellow highlighter and being able to engage with these with with the children that's that's awesome melissa talk to us a little bit about your peers and your work community mm -hmm. who are you seeing step up in ways that you were like i'm impressed i never thought of that and and what does that look like and what are they doing yeah so i mean honestly when i think of within just my community that I have to give so much credit to the teachers because they are spending a countless number of hours learning the new technology and especially for preschool, right? They were never trained like to do virtual distance learning for preschoolers. And so they're having to really develop it as they go. And I've just been so impressed with the way that they are all turning it into their own. And so we already know teachers don't all teach the same way in the classroom, which is what makes it so perfect for helping children learn. And so I've had the opportunity to sit in on, I want to say three or four different teachers kind of Zoom little class sessions so far. And all of them are doing it a little bit differently. And all of them have been so successful. So I have just been really impressed with the flexibility that they've had, being able to multitask with trying to, you know, do some learning on their screen and be muting kids and unmuting the ones to respond. Um, and so that's just something that's really stood out to me. And then really broadly, one of the people that I follow, her name is Creighton Lee, and I can share her website as well. But uh, her organization has, in the last five weeks, uh, raised and distributed over $47,000 in cash, groceries, and medical supplies, um, especially to Black marginalized genders and children during this the last few weeks. And so I've been following her for a few months, and it's just so impressive to me to see the response and just outpouring of support that she's offering to the community. Uh, the types of things that you were just describing uh, really reminds me that, uh, uh, you know, crisis uh, really reveals uh, who we are as leaders. Uh, Greg Groeschel said, uh, you don't motivate through a crisis, you lead through a crisis. What types of things are you seeing that are, are, are inspiring you as, as a leader? I think that one of the biggest motivations that I'm having is from the way that our community has responded to it. And by community, I mean not just the pocket of the community that I experience, but also our broader community and the way that people are coming together to help their neighbors. And I think you have to decide what you focus on during this time. And of course, there are stories and things that aren't necessarily the greatest happening, but also I've gotten more connected with my neighbors in the last month than I have in the six months that I've been living here, just because we video chatted one night, you know, and my mom asked me, she's like, well, do you know your neighbors well enough to be video chatting with them? And I said, well, I do now, <laughs> you know, and so I just, I think that it's creating an interconnectedness that we didn't have before. And it's also showing us how connected we are. And I think that that's just so important to be not only aware of, but responsive to that what I do affects other people and vice versa. And we can be a ripple that has positive impacts or we could not. And so as much as possible, I'm trying to focus on the ways that people are rippling out in really positive ways and finding my motivation and encouragement from that it's a different culture we're living in just even pre COVID, you know, my, my parents spoke of knowing the names 
and the children in every single house in the neighborhood for like a 10 block radius, right? They knew everybody. And then when I grew up, I knew maybe a couple here and there. And I'll be honest, my 18 year old probably doesn't know a single neighbor in the neighborhood because no one's of his age, right? And they're either younger or they're older without kids. And so he doesn't know them. And, you know, that culture has changed. I love that you reached out to your, your neighbor and, and built your own, you're building your own community and your own relationships. This is great. So we're going to take a quick break right now and we'll be back with Melissa and Al and me when we're done. Thanks to our friends at Expert Online Trading for supporting the Youth Development Professional Guidebook podcast. Al, you used Expert Online Training at your summer camp. I did, actually. I used them for several seasons at the last camp that I was the executive director. When we were trying to decide the items that we would present during our staff orientation week, there were so many things that we left out. And when Expert Online Training came along, it was like, oh, we can do this ahead of camp. And then people come in and they're already prepared. We even added on to our, our support staff, our directing team components so that we'd all be on the same page prior to doing our support staff training as well. It just really made a huge difference. And Expert Online Training has some great folks who present uh, the kind of people that you'd want to see at conferences or that you do make time to see at the different conferences throughout the year. So if you're interested in looking for the highest quality online training for your youth programs, go to expertonlinetraining.com and check them out. Thanks again for all their support. Welcome back. We're here with uh, Melissa McFeeters, and uh, she's describing some uh, amazing things that her organization is doing. Uh, Melissa, can you talk a little bit about both uh, the things that your, your, your organization is doing as well as yourself that are moving you through the next 30, 60, 90 days? Yeah, so I think the big thing that I really am trying to focus on as I'm thinking about all of this, right, is again, going back to the way that this is really a collective trauma for not just small communities, but the entire nation, the entire globe. And just about any response to trauma is a normal response. There really aren't many, any abnormal responses to trauma, right? And so when we think about um, the brain, and especially for children, right, their brains are still developing all through their youth, even up until the time that they're considered legally an adult, their brains are still developing. And, and our brains can change, right, even once we become past that point that there's a significant amount of it happening. And so when I think about with our preschoolers and the parents, especially and guardians that we're working with, and also our staff, there's an inability to access our prefrontal cortex if we're in fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, right? And our prefrontal cortex is where a lot of the great things happen, like decision-making, our executive function skills, self-control, things like that. And so we can't learn if we're not accessing our prefrontal cortex. So I want to make sure that we're never expecting staff to be teaching or parents and guardians and children to be learning without access to their prefrontal cortexes. And so when we're confronted with this virus, right, we can't really fight it in, in terms of like we would if it were a bear or a tiger. We can't flee from it. We're literally <laughs> at, in our homes, right? We can't flee from it. Um, and so that kind of leaves us with either freeze or fawn. And a lot of people may not have heard of fawn before. And that's really this reaction that is people pleasing. 
And so just trying to maintain status quo, keep the peace. And that's what a lot of households are trying to do right now. And I think also with freezing that we just feel really stuck. We feel in this place that we don't know what to do. Maybe we can't get up off the couch, even though, you know, we need to go do the dishes or whatever. And so how can we be supporting the, the people that we're working with, whether that's my colleagues or the children and families in their self-regulation and becoming able to access that prefrontal cortex and feel safe and feel connected because without feeling safe and having a safe environment, they're not going to be able to connect with one another and they're not going to be able to learn. So really kind of having that tiered approach of how can we help children feel safe? How can we connect with them? And then how can we help them learn? So when I'm thinking about moving forward, that's really where my focus is, is in what ways can we get information to people. And so for some of it, that's staff and sometimes that's parents and guardians. How can we get information to them that supports their children feeling safe and connected? And so that's breathing exercises. There's really fantastic images out there for that. And I can share some of those as well that we use. Uh, one of the really fun tools that I love is a Hoberman's Fear. It's one of those balls that um, kind of expands and contracts and they make very large ones with which a lot of kids love, but you can use it to have a tangible item as you practice breathing exercises with kids. And so they have something physical to inhale and exhale with. And so just giving families ideas like that, giving staff ideas like that, and really remembering that as we move forward through this, if we're just in that state of reactivity constantly, we're not gonna get anywhere. We're not gonna find any solutions because we can't be thinking of them. And so that's really as a whole that I hope will start happening very collectively as we can move from this trauma response and really move into a place where we are thinking and making good decisions for our health and our safety. That's a common theme that we've heard throughout uh, several of our uh, different interviews. You're really talking about resiliency as well in, in so many different uh, aspects of it. Um, let, let me ask you this, Melissa. Uh, can you, uh, I'd like you to picture yourself six months from now, uh, and hopefully that this crisis will have uh, curtailed somehow, and some uh, new ways of behaving and, and working will have been instituted. Uh, what would Melissa six months from now say to Melissa today about the things that she's learned? I think the biggest thing would be telling myself that I am enough and that I'm doing enough because I think something a lot of us are experiencing is this sense of not being able to do enough because we're so restricted in what we can do. And the reality is that whatever you do every day was exactly what you needed to do. And, you know, there's no um, judgment. It's not like good or bad. It's just, it is. And so I think just remembering that um, that we are enough and what, whatever we're doing is enough. I echo that and, and hope more and more people hear that about themselves as well. You know, it, you, in our work, working with children, we are not always the person We're the person, the person relies on, right? So it's all about the children and we're the one to support them. And personally, and, and I could speak a little bit for Al because I know him really well. And it sounds like through this conversation, you're one of those people too, is you're going to put 
that child and those families ahead of your needs and your desires. And, you know, we have to introspect and say, I am doing all I can. And you know what? Today, sitting on the couch, watching three hours of Netflix, that's okay. Not doing it every day, but today is a good day to do it. So Melissa, that's some amazing advice. And I guess my next question kind of to follow up is, what are you doing today differently that you're going to continue, either you or your organization, that you're going to continue moving forward? I think, honestly, the biggest change will be my connection and my relationships with my colleagues. Because a lot of times we talk about, right, how kids have this tendency to think that their teachers live at school, right? Their teachers exist at school. And I've realized in the last few weeks that I sort of had the same idea about my coworkers. It was like they were a coworker human and they existed that way. And now they're human humans to me. And I've gained so much new insight and I've learned so much about them in the last few weeks. I mean, people that I've worked with for a couple of years that just I never knew because we never had the opportunity to learn about it, about each other. So I think that long-term, that's something that I want to maintain is that deeper connection with people and not just a very surface level connection. And one of the ways that I think we've really established a space for that connection is that we're doing optional self-care meetings every morning. And so that's been something that we've had a lot of really great feedback in. And so each day is themed with a different topic and it's very alliterative. So we have like mindfulness Mondays, talk it out Tuesdays, wishful Wednesdays, throwback Thursdays, and um, fortunate Fridays. And so kind of connecting it to our work, but in a way that is allowing us to really just learn new things about each other. And now we've been doing it for weeks. And so we have learned a lot about each other. And it's just, it gives us a consistency. It helps us get out of bed in the morning um, and be like accountable to one another. And so we've got a pretty good core group that comes most days. And then other days people just drop in as they need it. And so I think that that's something that I would want to continue in some form, even if not virtual, once all of this is over. I know I've uh, been uh, paying a great deal of attention and, and really in, in my uh, background and working in camping uh, and outdoor education, uh, I have preached for decades, you know, it, it's not a transaction uh, that, uh, or it's not a transactional relationship that we're looking for. It's a transformational relationship. And one of the things that I've noticing and paying great attention to in this time is uh, organizations and, and companies uh, and individuals that they're not doing business, but they're doing relationship. And that's what you're describing that you want to continue on and enhance in your organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think that especially when we talk about being a Kids at Hope culture and we talk about seeking the treasures in one another, we do that but this has given us the opportunity to do it in a very unique way and in a way that we might not have necessarily felt comfortable with before because we've just had so much time together now whereas our time before was so focused on our work with the children and now it's just this opportunity of reflection that we're having for ourselves that we get to share with each other so it's just created a greater amount of time and space for those things to be taking place that transformation 
That's fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, what, a, what a great uh, focus and view on uh, not only your, your, your immediate uh, community, but on the world in a time that is uh, uh, what I'm describing as our global cultural PTSD that we're all going to suffer from. Definitely. Mel Melissa, I'm going to dive into you a little bit. Not work, because we're not all about work. What are you specifically doing to keep your mental health up? Yeah, honestly, I think that that's something where I have a lot of room for improvement because right now what I've found the last few weeks is that my response to this um, was a little bit of a fight response in the sense of that there was that there's so much injustice that I feel like is happening that I want to fight that. And also just that we're out of control with what we can do and so trying to find like what can I control so I've definitely thrown myself into my work more than is probably been healthy and so this week one thing that I started doing was because I was realizing that I was dehydrated was with every zoom meeting that I have I drink a cup of water and so that meant that I had to get up and go refill the cup of water which has been great but also I'm staying hydrated and so just trying to build into my day, little ways of um, those sorts of habits and getting up, having that consistency every morning to be accountable to the self-care meeting has been really great. And I told everyone at the beginning that selfishly, I designed those meetings for myself so that I would have the consistency. And it's just, it's great that it benefits other people as well. So I'm just trying to, I think, make sure that I'm finding a better balance and it's gotten easier as the weeks have gone on to be eating on a regular schedule, like not waiting until three o'clock in the afternoon to have breakfast and lunch. Right. And so it's also just holding myself accountable to knowing that I have to be healthy if I'm going to be taking care of other people. And so taking that time to get enough sleep if I can. Um, there's a really great YouTube channel that I listen to called The Honest Guys, and they have meditations, guided meditations, but they do a lot of four, seven, eight breathing, which is an inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight, and it knocks me out. <laughs> so just trying to incorporate as much of those kinds of um, techniques into my daily life as I can has been a big help. I think that intentionality that you're describing uh, is, is uh, you know, you drop that pebble in the water and watch it ripple across in so many different ways. And uh, whether you are uh, initial response, it sounds like you are making, uh, you know, some ripples in not only your life, but in your community as well. Yeah, I think that's my ultimate hope is just that if I've been able to positively impact someone else, then I feel like I've you know, done enough for the day to be enough. And so, you know, with the self-care meetings, that incorporates an opportunity for it. And then just reaching out to my colleagues and to the families that we work with and being as much of a support as possible. That's great. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, give us, tell us how people can get a hold of you if they have questions and how we're going to get a hold of Melissa. 
Yeah, so I'm actually in one of my side projects, the community editor for the Tacoma Pierce County ACEs Connection page, ACEs being Adverse Childhood Experiences. And so that's one of the best ways to reach me is through the ACEs Connection platform. And that's a big passion of mine as well. And I'm doing some additional work in the community on the side <laughs> amidst everything. Um, so yeah, definitely the ACEs Connection platform would be a great way. Great, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you've talked about today. I am very excited to learn more and what we're going to do. Hopefully, Melissa will take a little break and then Al and I will wrap up. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All take right. care. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you're interested in having your voice heard on this podcast, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and send us an email. Welcome back, everybody. I really enjoyed having Melissa on today. Al, tell me what one of the main takeaways from today was. Melissa had a great amount of uh, enthusiasm, and she's making such a impact in her community. Um, I especially liked her quote about be a ripple that has a positive impact. Uh, I, I'm really, you know, what what I took from her and what her energy is bringing is that um, uh, law of the lid again. It just, uh, you know, if on a scale of one to 10, uh, as a leader in her uh, organization, she's definitely, you know, an eight or nine, and she's lifting people up uh, from uh, the lower levels all the way up to where she is uh, making such a huge impact in so many people. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I love one of the things that she said was when talking about children and the teachers in her community was that they need to have value, worth, and inherent dignity. I think that's really important as we think about our communities. We work so hard that we can put them with those three key goals in mind is that they understand that they do have value, which creates worth. And then that there is inherent dignity to everything that we do when we're working with youth and as we are just guided through this crazy time we're living in. So thank you so much, Al, again. And thanks to Melissa for joining us this week. We hope everybody enjoyed what we talked about today. If you did like us, feel free to share our podcast, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.